0: Okay, well, would you like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? It sounds a bit echoey. Presumably that will sort itself out. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to return to our series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, We've been looking at things that unite us as a church. So we're looking at the glue that holds us together. And so far... We've only done chapter 1, and it's been going on for absolutely ages. Um, but uh, we've looked at the mission that God has given us, our mission to preach the gospel. This is what gives us our purpose and our motivation. So we looked at that from verses 1 to 17. Then secondly, we looked at the cross, how the cross unites us, because the cross is the great leveler. It reveals our need, And we just slipped into chapter 2 with that one. And today and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. So that's the whole of chapter 2, the work of the Holy Spirit looking first of all at teaching. And that's because that's where Paul starts. Paul starts with looking at teaching. He says, the teacher who who preaches the Word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit has got incredible power to unite the church. That's what this whole chapter is about, the power to unite the church through the preaching of the Word under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Rick Warren says that the pulpit is like a rudder on a ship. It can determine the direction of a church either intentionally or unintentionally. It's the steering place of the church. It can hold us together, The teaching or it can divide us it can unite us or it can confuse us (laughs) and so at the end of Romans Paul warns the church to watch out for those who cause divisions or put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned so we need to hold on to the teaching that God has given us that original teaching of the gospel So what had been happening at Corinth was that these powerful personalities had risen up, towering intellects, stirring oratory, and they'd risen up to divide the church over various teachings. So what Paul does in this chapter is to take them back to the beginning. He says, remember how this church was started remember the teaching that founded it, remember how I came to you, the manner in which I taught you, and compare this to what you've got going on right now. So just go back to the beginning and remember. See, from the beginning of the church, as seen in the book of Acts, to the beginning of the church at Corinth, to the beginning of every local church, there must be this foundation of good teaching backed up, by a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And we like to talk about the Word and the Spirit, don't we? It's kind of very trendy to talk about that, but this is the reality of it. These two things are inseparable. They've got to come together. And when they do, when the Word comes together with the Spirit, confirmed by the Spirit, it's the beginning of something. Something is born, lives are changed, and all heaven breaks out and comes to earth. And I think that's wonderful, and that's what I'm wanting to go for. That's what I want to talk about today, and that's what I want to see. So what I'm going to do uh, this afternoon is work through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I'm just going to go through it a line at a time, and then I'm going to explain it to you, and then I want to end on a significant challenge for us a significant challenge. So you can just hold on to your seats for that. So let's just read the passage. First of all, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In fact, we'll just read two verses. Let's just do two at a time. All right, here goes. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, I just ask you that as we talk about the centrality of the preaching of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, when those two come together, they it will just happen this afternoon. We just ask you for an incredible endorsement of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, for an outbreak of your Spirit. We thank you for your presence You've been here so wonderfully already. Lord, would you just turn up your presence and confirm your word in Jesus' name? Amen. So, where Paul starts is with himself. He comes to the church again and reminds them, he says, Look, look at my example. He could have come to Corinth, you know, with some intellectual muscle, he was highly educated. He was probably one of the greatest thinkers of his time, and he was quite able to debate with the greats. So if you read in Acts chapter 18, it tells us that just prior to coming to Corinth, Paul had been debating philosophy and religion with highly educated Greeks in Athens. And his speeches, if you're interested, are recorded in Acts chapter 17. And you see that if you go through that speech, he's quoting classical poetry, uh, he's showing incredible insight into their culture, and he shows an incredible ability to speak in an apologetic style of outreach. It's all there, the intellectual evangelist, perfect. But when he comes to the church, when he comes to founding Corinth, he didn't come like that. And I paraphrase, but in effect what he says is, when I came to you, I emptied my head to speak from my heart. He said, I didn't use all of that. I didn't come with all of that to you. I spoke to you from the heart. He didn't come to persuade them, you see, of some new philosophy or to impress them with his intellectual achievements. But he came with a kind of humility that would allow the Holy Spirit to work through him. And that's not because he thought education was wrong or thinking was wrong. I mean, how many times does Paul say say elsewhere throughout the New Testament, think on these things, think about them. Ask God to give you understanding. Let the eyes of your understanding be opened. Paul's not against thinking. He's not against educating ourselves. It's just that that's not how he came to them. He didn't come to them on the basis of his education. He says, when I came to you, he says, I came in weakness. He came with an attitude that says, look, if God doesn't turn up now, nothing's going to happen. That's a scary idea for somebody who stands in front of a load of people. If God doesn't turn up now, nothing's going to happen. He says, if he doesn't do the work, then I just as well go home. That's his attitude. He came to them in weakness. And weakness speaks like... I mean, for us, it's very much the same, isn't it? This kind of weakness where we're dependent on God, is a bit like uh, when we pray for the sick. You know, when we lay hands on the sick, there's nothing I can do about that sickness. I just lay my hands on and it's his responsibility to back me up. Or if I tell my friends about Jesus, I can't convert anybody. And so wouldn't we love to be able to, sometimes, we'd love to get a hold of people and just say, oh for goodness sake, you need Jesus, can't you see it? But that's not our job, it's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to just share our faith in the best way that we can and it's his job to back us up and convict them and show them that they need him. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And this weakness, it, it speaks of a kind of vulnerability, and you know, there's nothing intimidating or threatening about a weak person, is there? And the preacher that stands before you and is prepared to be weak, to share their weaknesses and failings, they're the most popular seminars at different conferences, you know, when somebody says they're going to talk about all their faults or something like that. You know, when people are prepared to be vulnerable in front of others, there's something very attractive and compelling about that. We don't want to just hear the successes and the achievements. That's not the kind of person we want to listen to. We want to listen to real people. And weakness is about a lack of pretense. It's a kind of transparency. It's an authenticity. These are the kind of preachers that I want to hear. Is that what you want? You want people that you can connect with and understand and you feel like, yeah, they've been on a journey as well. I can learn from that. I mean that's the kind of culture we want as a church, isn't it? Where people can actually just be open and transparent. Say, guys, I've really messed up this week. And we say, Yeah, so have I, that's okay. Let's pray for you. A place where people can be honest and not be afraid of rejection. Paul says, I came to you in weakness. He said, I didn't come like these powerful preachers who dazzled you and turned you against the simplicity of what I brought to you when you first came to know Christ. I'm no different to you. Paul knew that. Actually, in another place, he says, I'm worse than you because I'm the chief of sinners, because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. That was his starting place. That was his humility. That was his transparency. I'm worse than you. And yet, look, I'm an example of what the gospel of Jesus can do in a man's life. So he goes on to say to them, in weakness he came to them, and fear, and with much trembling. I think that is incredibly encouraging. Weakness, fear, and much trembling. That encourages me. You know, anybody encouraged by the fact that Paul the Apostle, the great man of power, was a little bit nervous when it came to sharing his faith? Anybody? That just encourages me so much. He says, I came to you with fear and much trembling. It should be an encouragement to anybody who wants to start preaching. There are guys here that feel a call to preach and just standing up there that first time. It's just awful. It's so difficult. Fear and trembling. Guys, it doesn't stop. It's still fear and trembling. Okay. But even if we want to pray out in church or even if we want to prophesy or we want to bring a word of knowledge, fear and trembling come with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is okay. Just make sure you do it anyway. Learn to do it afraid because it never quite goes away. But God uses that. He uses that weaknesses, that weakness and he turns it into his opportunity. And this, this phrase, weakness, uh, this phrase, sorry, uh, with fear and much trembling, is a phrase which, according to Strong's Dictionary, was used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his natural ability completely to meet all the requirements of the immense task before him. Anybody? Anybody ever suffer with that kind of anxiety? and this isn't just the opening conversation that Paul seemed to have a problem with he goes on in verse 4 and he says my message, literally my talking and my preaching weren't that great either they weren't with wise and persuasive words they didn't come with all this intelligence and it all worked out and put in order and I've got to say I can really identify with this kind of anxiety can't you? Uh, I mean, I wrestle with it all the time. I've got to tell you, I'm hardly ever confident before I stand up and preach. Hardly ever. As my wife will tell you, my preparation is often spent in days of agonizing over the message. Days of it, agonizing. Worrying at it, trying to get it just right. Not because I lack any kind of conviction and, you know, I know I'm called to preach and all that kind of thing. And I know that God will turn up, but it's just this sense of awe and, and responsibility about being faithful to the word of God, of hearing the spirit correctly and knowing the anointing to preach. That last one especially. You know, there have been times where I've just not known the anointing and my preparation. I've not known that certainty, that conviction as I've prepared it. And it's only just as I stand up suddenly, he's there. Oh, thanks, Lord, you finally turned up. It's nerve-wracking. I found that uh, at the same time, some of the worst talks in my preparation have been the best talks in delivery because of the anointing. I found you can prepare really rubbish talks and they come out really good because you're just so dependent on the Holy Spirit. I won't even discuss which category this one is in with you, but you can make up your own mind. You know, when I first started preaching, I used to have this recurring dream, perhaps even a nightmare, about standing up in front of a a room full of people like this and speaking the words, but somehow nobody could hear me. And they just all kept talking. And no matter what I did, I just couldn't get their attention. And I used to wake up in a cold sweat over and over again. And really what the dream was about is that, the desperation of that lack of anointing. It's just the most awful, awful feeling. And see, the preacher must be anointed, must give space to the Holy Spirit, to do whatever he wants to do despite preparation. There must always be that openness. And Paul's example to them was one of humility and awe, even trembling. His example is one of dependence on the Holy Spirit, which can be seen most clearly in the message that he preached. So let's just look at the message in verse 4. He says this, and five, my message and my teaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, the message that Paul preached, as we were seeing last time, was simple. His message was really simple. It was just Jesus Christ and him crucified. Simple, even foolish. We talked about the foolishness of the gospel. It's a foolish message. It's so simple that people kind of miss it. They don't get it at all. But it was incredibly powerful. And people came to faith not because of Paul's ability to persuade but because of the power that they experienced through the message. Because the Holy Spirit himself confirmed what he said. I remember some years ago hearing the most astounding thing I've ever heard from a preacher. He was an Indian man and he was preaching in Hansworth and he was called Rambabu. Anybody heard of Rambabu? Oh, what a guy. I mean, he stood up at the beginning of this um, series of meetings evangelistic outreaches in Hansworth and the crowd was a bit mixed, you know and he stood up and he said as bold as anything, something like I will preach the gospel to you and you will listen and then the Holy Spirit will demonstrate and I guarantee you will see miracles and if you don't you can ignore everything that I say (laughs) wow I thought about starting like that today, but (laughs) I thought I'd teach you about it first. (laughs) But guys, this is the sense of what Paul is saying here, and in many other places across the New Testament. What kind of demonstrations of power should we expect then, if that's what Paul is saying? He so I came to you in weakness, and fear, and trembling. I did a rubbish job. But God turned up and there were amazing demonstrations of power of the Holy Spirit. So what sort of things should we expect? Because the first bit encourages us, the second bit scares us, yeah? Well, let me run you through some verses. And that's all I'm going to do, really, because the Bible speaks for itself on this. First of all, this is what Jesus told us to expect. So in Mark chapter 16, this really famous verse, which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Verse 17, and these attesting miracles will follow you. What are the miracles? In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands and drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on people that are ill and they will get well. Now, I don't understand some of those. I don't know why anybody would want to pick up snakes or anything like that, but it happened to Paul once. He got bitten, and he didn't get poisoned. That's all I know about that. But this is what Jesus says. You'll preach the gospel, and these are testing signs of miracles. will follow you. Okay? Jesus. That's Jesus who says that. And then it can be seen throughout the book of Acts. I'm just going to turn you to a few verses It says, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached, when the people heard Peter preach, it says that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And he said, you need to be saved. Preached the word of God, and then the Holy Spirit convicted them. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what can we do? In Acts chapter 8, Philip proclaimed Christ in verses 5 to 8. It says here, verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. It's another way of saying he preached the gospel. He proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Here are the signs. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Well, that speaks for itself. He preached, he proclaimed Christ, and all these miracles happened. Then in Acts chapter 10... Uh, verse 44, just while Peter was speaking to some people, in verse 44 he says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard. The Holy Spirit came on them all. They began to speak in tongues and show the manifestation of the Spirit. Acts chapter 18. Verses 7 to 8. Now this is when Paul first came to Corinth. Okay? So Paul left the synagogue. He gave up on the Jews. They rejected him despite his learning, despite all that he did, despite all that he said. So he left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. He preached the gospel, and they believed in the Lord, which is one of the greatest miracles of all. And this should be our expectation too. When the gospel is preached, stuff happens. When the Word of God is preached faithfully, stuff will happen. Because it's powerful. It's the Word of God. Alright? Stuff is going to happen. So in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not just with a load of words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. 1 Corinthians chapter 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not just the talk, it's the power that comes with it. Not a matter of talk, but of power. Preach the gospel. Be faithful to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit himself will demonstrate his power and his approval of that message. Amen? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Do you agree with me? Amen? Amen. Can I have an amen? amen? Amen. Right, well, here's the challenge. I've been learning from Angela. So he leads you up the path, you feel secure, and then I... Here's the challenge. If this is what the Bible says, what demonstration of the Spirit's power are we expecting when the Gospel is preached? What are we expecting? What is your level of faith for the preaching of the Word? Or do we just think, oh, it's the sermon bit now. I guess I better listen, try not to drop off. What is your expectation when the Word is preached? Are we expecting people to be saved? Are you expecting your life to be changed? Oh, somebody's going to preach, I'm all ears, because God's going to speak to me. Are you expecting that? Are you expecting that some people will get set free from demons? Or that some people will get healed just because the Word of God is preached? Or are you expecting maybe some other manifestation of the Spirit? And guys, it's okay to say, actually, I'm not quite there yet. But this is what the point of this message is today. Because I want us to be there. Some other manifestation of the Spirit, you know, I have, I've had a number of people speak to me over the last few weeks and said, do you know what, during the meeting, while we were worshipping, or during the sermon or whatever, I've had gold all over my hands. Or I've had oil on my hands. Or I've had just the most, somebody came to the meeting last week, they couldn't get up out of the seat because the presence of God was so strong on them. And God delivered them of stuff while they were sitting there. Visitors. Is that okay? Is that what we want? I'm so relieved. But guys, what is your level of faith? It's a challenge, okay? And I want to finish with some thoughts, and I've thought long and hard about saying this, and and Alison will testify, and so will Steve, that I'm actually quite scared about saying this. But I want to be honest and in weakness and transparency with you about it. Now you wonder what on earth I'm going to say. But you know, one of the things I've often heard is that when preachers travel around, that they have a greater degree of freedom and faith when they preach in churches that are outside of their home situation. I've heard it a lot. A lot of people talk about it. And, you know, we benefit from that to some degree when people come into our church and minister. We benefit from it because there can often be a greater expectation of their ministry and a willingness to respond to them than we have of our own ministries amongst us because of the familiarity, and we know people, and we know about them. Jesus confirmed this problem when he said that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He's honoured everywhere else, but when he goes home, oh, he's just Jesus. Remember the carpenter's son, sweet guy. Slightly deluded, but, you know, nice guy. I've heard these crazy things about him while he's out there. But when he's home, he's just Jesus. I was speaking to David Carr about this a little while ago, and after speaking to him, I wondered if this could just as easily be a prophet is not without honour except in his home church. Because there is a different degree of expectation and anointing when you go somewhere else. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and Steve and I were talking about it a little while ago. I'm just bringing you in on this now. But I don't think that this is right. I don't think it should be the case. Because Jesus' hometown isn't the church. We are the church. It shouldn't be the same. We're the people of God. I don't think this is right. So I want to buck the trend on that. Uh, but it is true, nonetheless, that it does seem to be the case. So let me give you an example of what happened to me a couple of months ago when I went to preach in another church one Sunday morning. I was moonlighting. I slipped off for the morning I came back here, preached in the afternoon, and you'd never have known... <laughs> But, you know, I haven't been anywhere else to preach for a while because of commitments here. But I've got to say that what happened there took me completely by surprise. I was amazed at the way that I was received. The expectation of faith that I met meant that even when I got there, things started to happen. Even as I walked in to the room, there were there was stuff happening around the room. After ten minutes of the meeting starting, the pastor turned around and apologized to me. He said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what is happening in this meeting. I'm really sorry, they're not normally like this. And I just smiled and I said, well, I did tell you things would get stirred up if I came. I just felt that faith. I thought the worship was amazing there, by the way. The presence of God. And these are the kind of things that were going on. Within minutes of the meeting starting, a lady started shouting and ran out the back of the meeting. A few minutes later, another lady, lady ran to the front saying, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, please pray for me, I don't know why, I'm terrified. And then a few minutes later, somebody brought a tongue. (laughs) There's all this stuff going on, and somebody brings a tongue right in the middle of it. But it was powerful, and it unlocked even more of the presence of God. By the time I got up to preach, uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to, actually, because so much was already going on. But when I got to preach, there were several disturbances while I was preaching as people responded to the Word. I got heckled several times on the way through and they had to edit the tape afterwards. I'm not going to give you ideas here. When I called for a response at the end, a whole load of the church came forward. And as I walked along the line just praying for people, I got to one man and he started roaring at me and shouting and screaming. The pastor turned around and said, band, play up. <laughs> Make some noise, and we prayed for him. He was miraculously delivered. He fell on the floor, and he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And his life was completely transformed. We then went back along the row and we prayed for a lady who had um, bipolar. And uh, it was amazing. We prayed for her. Something happened in her head. She felt it. And she has been completely transformed. She's not completely healed, but she is a different person. I spoke to the pastor yesterday to say, look, what's happened two months on? She's a different person, and she's now in faith for her complete healing. Another man I prophesied over from the front, and I told him that there was a significant change in his work situation coming, and that he would come quickly into a place of significant leadership in the workplace, but that when that happened, you shouldn't lose sight of the fact that God also had called him to be a leader in the church. Don't let the money take you away. He came to see me a couple of weeks ago to say that, that was on the Sunday, but on the Tuesday, uh, he won a national contract for an invention that his company and he had particularly worked on, and it was going global by the end of the year, which would mean a national role for him in education. And he says, I've been working on this for years and it happened after you prophesied. Wow. Now I understand that partly these things happen because the gift that I have is not present in that church. Okay, So that when I went there, I brought something that they didn't have and God used me to bless them. The same will happen to us. We we'll have people that will come in here, they don't, they have gifts different to us, and they bless us in a different way. That's one of the reasons why we invite people in because they've got something we haven't got yet, because we want to get hold of it. But at the same time, I think there's more for us. And you know, one of the reasons why I could pray for that lady with bipolar disorder, and I've got permission to share this with you now, um, was because two years ago, uh, Simon Bradford and myself prayed for Ian Blakey. And at the time, we didn't know that he had bipolar, okay? But we prayed for the healing of his mind, because he was depressed. So, when we saw him back at church the following week, we just thought, yeah, great, God's done something, he's not depressed anymore. But week after week, he would come to me and say, Rob, do you know how I know God is real? I said, gone. Why? He says, because I haven't been in a mental hospital since I've been a Christian. Most of his adult life, he was in a mental hospital. I met up with him three months ago, and he finally told me the whole story about how he'd been diagnosed with bipolar as a teenager, and that how since we'd prayed for him on that Sunday, he hadn't had a single downer or an upper, and he'd been level the whole time, to such an extent that he was beginning to ask whether he still needed medication. Guys, that happened here, just in one of our meetings. But we weren't allowed to share it with you for a bit, because we wanted to make sure, and that he was safe to share it. But he's just given me permission to share it now. Now he's left. (laughs) So it's not that things aren't happening here. They are. And you're going to hear a lot more stories of amazing things that are happening in people's lives. And I want to encourage you to be ready to testify when God does something in your life because it builds faith in the church. Stuff is happening here. I don't want to give you that impression. Amazing things. And some of the stuff that Angela said last weekend and Ginny the weekend before, they were amazed at what God has been doing in the church here. Especially Ginny, she's been every now and again, prophetic lady. She said, you wouldn't believe the difference in people's lives. But you know, I think there are so many more things for us. Why should we expect anything less from God? I don't want us to miss out. The Word is preached. Our expectation should be, God, what are you going to do? Somebody's going to preach... God, what are you going to do? I think it comes down to expectation. And I think we need to take Jesus' warning to heart about a prophet is not with honor, without honour. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm just using me as an example. I'm talking about anybody that ministers in this church. And I think we need to learn how to partner with one another in faith. We need to learn to partner with them. When somebody steps out, we step up with them. When somebody launches out and brings a prophetic word, we get in behind it and we say Amen and we respond. When somebody prays, we shout Amen. When somebody preaches, they've only just started preaching and they're stumbling a bit. We Amen and we encourage them. We partner with them in faith because we honour them and we have a culture of honouring people and we honour the Word of God. Amen? Amen? I want to unlock something today. I just felt an incredible significance about saying this at this time that God wants to unlock something for us so that we're not passive in the way that we receive things, the way that we hear things, but we're active in responding to the message that God is giving us. And I know for my part there is a stepping up in faith as well. I know there is. Uh, this came clear to me last weekend with something my dad said. And Angela pulled him out and I was really surprised and he was shocked. But what he said just made sense to me. I thought, ah, oh, I hadn't realized. He's talked about his relationship with his dad and how he'd been afraid about, oh no, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Now, I don't feel that when my dad's here at all. In fact, I kind of think, oh, if dad's here, amazing stuff's going to happen, how exciting. But I do feel sometimes that sense of pastoral responsibility. Oh, you know, what will so-and-so think or feel or whatever? need to be careful, make sure we explain, crop the aristocracy. Okay, it's good to be that way, but not too much. And I know that there's a stepping up for me, and I want to step out more. I want to step out more, and I want you to help me and to help others here in this church. I want this to be an easy church to minister in because we know how to partner with one another in faith. So will you partner with me? Shall we partner together with one another to help to create that kind of culture of expectation? I want to take you right back now to where we started this is what this has all been about. The Word and the Spirit, when these two come together, something is born, lives are changed, and all heaven breaks out and comes to earth. That's why. <laughs> that's why this message, that's what we want to see. We want to see heaven come down, we'll see lives changed, We really do, don't we? We want to hear more of these stories, more miraculous breakthroughs. I want us to agree together. I want us to have this understanding and allow it to unite us in faith so that Jubilee is a church of incredible expectation where the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated whenever the Word is preached, talked about, or even hinted at. If there's a sniff of the Word of God, let's get behind it and partner in faith. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Now what do I do? I wanted to share that with you, but I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to share His heart with us too. And we've just got a few minutes left before the end of the meeting. So I just want to invite you to stand, and let's just agree together. Do you want to come out of the front? You can, or come out in the middle here. You know, there's a lot of the Holy Spirit down that avenue. I don't know why, but let's just move out. Let's just get out of our pews. Lord, change these pews. Get rid of them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Feel free to gnaw. <laughs> there, is, there is some good news about the pews. There may be a few going soon. I won't Ooh. tell you too much more than that. And let's just stand before God together. You know, just put your hands on the person next to you. as a sign of this unity. And If you're feeling left out over there, just come and join us. We don't need... Okay, you guys are all right over there. And Lord, we just agree together and say Amen. amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> That's it really, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. Would you confirm your word? With signs following, we know that this is the Word of God that we've been talking about. This isn't just a nice idea, or wouldn't it be nice? Lord, this is the Word of God, and we stand on your Word today. And we say, Lord, manifest your power and your glory amongst us. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We don't want great orators and clever people doing the clever stuff. Lord, we're happy just to be simple and preach the Gospel But Lord, will you turn up? Lord, would you give us courage to leave space for you and not over-prepare? Lord Jesus, I pray that for each and every one of us. It's not just for the preachers or the people that stand up the front. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people of the Word, backed up by the Spirit. We want to be Holy Spirit people and lovers of the Word.